Pastor Ed Taylor unveils the strategy of Satan. Your identity in Christ, you have been set free. You are hidden in Christ. Your sins have been forgiven. You know, the devil does everything he can to keep you out of the Word of God because he doesn't want you to live out your identity. He doesn't want you to live out the destiny that God has laid before you. He doesn't want you to live in obedience. He wants you to live with this confused mind always wondering, always regretting, always upset, always in the flesh. And before you know it, man, life passed you by and it's just been one long flesh fest of your life. And it's just a miserable way to live. This is amazing grace. Welcome to Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor is taking us through Genesis verse by verse right now. In chapter 3, sin enters the world. Eve falls for Satan's lie. And Adam willfully disobeys God too. And through it all, we get a pretty good idea of how Satan operates. His methods really haven't changed through the years. So it would be a good idea to see how he attacks and how to mount a defense. Here's Pastor Ed with part one of The Devil is a Liar start a new chapter in our study verse by verse through the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to tackle the first few verses in the Bible study I've entitled, The Devil is a Liar. Amen? Amen. The devil is a liar. If you didn't know that already, now you do. The devil is a liar. And let me just say, we're in one of the most important chapters in all the Bible. If you were to read chapters 1 and 2, and then skip chapter 3 and move into chapter 4, you wouldn't be able, you'd be filled with so many questions. What happened? What happened from God declaring everything good to the chaos that happens in chapter 4? If you skipped 3, it's so critical and foundation in understanding why so many difficulties exist today. I mean, it's like if you don't know the beginning, like studying the book of Genesis here on our midweek and then studying the book of Acts on weekends, if we don't know the beginning of something, it's kind of like walking into a movie late. You know, you're 10, 15, 20 minutes late, you walk into the movie and you've missed all of the foundation that they were building for the rest. And you know, what is happening here? And who's this person here? And where are they? And what's the plot line? Well, we're studying the plot lines that God has given to us as we learn of his character and his nature. We we don't want to jump in midway. We want to understand what God is doing, especially in Genesis. As we come to chapter 4 and skip 3, we have to ask questions like, what happened to man's innocence? What happened to the perfect garden? Why isn't man in fellowship with God any longer? Why, beginning in chapter 4, is where did this jealousy come from? Where did the anger, the lying, the murder, the corruption, the rebellion, the judgment, where did all that come from? Well, in chapter 3, in just 24 short verses, that explains all those questions and more. The chapter clarifies so much. 
We're going to learn the devices of the enemy, how he functions, how sin enters into the world. We're going to learn about prophecy, substitutionary atonement, man's separation from God, God's love and pursuit of man. And, and it's one of the reasons I was going and preparing this particular study. One of the reasons I just so appreciate Ken Ham. Because the ministry, the drum that he beats, if he had just one drum that he beats, is that you need to understand Genesis in order to understand life. It gives you the foundation of everything. And we don't want to neglect the foundation of how God laid before us the promise, not only the problem, but the promise of Messiah. And so we're going to go a little bit slower through chapter 3 in the coming weeks to learn a little bit. Notice with me in verse 1 of chapter 3 of Genesis. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, and mark these words, because they're familiar words, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So let's just pause there for a moment to gain some introduction to this chapter. You know, back in California, Southern California, where I grew up, every July, all the fireworks stands would pop up. And the most popular fireworks stand when I grew up was Red Devil Fireworks. And there was a Red Devil Fireworks stand every corner. And the mascot was what you would think, a little comical character, a little cartoon character with a pitchfork and horns and a big tail. And there's the little red devil selling his fireworks. Makes sense, selling things related to fire, of course. And many today believe that's a true picture of the devil, just a little character, kind of like in the cartoons, because I also grew up with cartoons that had a little angel on one shoulder and a little red devil on the other one, and they're trying, pulling you one direction or the other. And, and we learn today that the devil's real and he's not some comical character. He has one goal, and that's to utterly destroy your life. And you can't view him like a cartoon or you can't deny him. It says that the serpent here, of course, the serpent now being indwelt by the very person of the devil, was more cunning than any beast of the field. You can write next to cunning, you can say, you could write next to it, he was subtle and crafty. That's the idea behind this Hebrew word, cunning, subtle and crafty, the Serpent, the Hebrew word for serpent here is shining one. So he comes with this attractiveness, but he is cunning. So let's learn a little bit about the devil from other passages. Would you hold your place in Genesis and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14? Isaiah chapter 14. We get a little insight to the devil here uh, from the word of God. In Isaiah 14, we're going to pick up when we get there in verse 12. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. Of the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. 
those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness, who destroyed its cities, and who did not open the house of his prisoners? From Isaiah, turn over to Ezekiel now. Turn over to Ezekiel, again to the right, Ezekiel chapter 28. We have these descriptions of the real essence of the devil, of Lucifer, of Satan. Ezekiel 28, 14. You are the anointed cherub, again an angel, who covers, I establish you, you are on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. And so we have this dual description, both of a world leader and also the heart of the devil, the essence of the devil. And what was the great sin of Satan? It was the sin of pride. That, that was his problem. He was so beautiful, he believed he could be God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to place himself above God. And like it did with Satan bringing his enjoyment of the presence of God to an immediate end, immediate judgment, pride will also tear you down instantly. You see, sin didn't begin on earth. It began in the heart of Lucifer, declaring war against God in his heart. But his war against God is also a war against you and against your life and your fruitfulness. The reason he's against you, and I'm not overstating this, the reason he's against you is that you are the apple of God's eye, his prized creation. The devil is consumed with envy and pride. And in his arrogance, taking you down brings him great joy. Now, we aren't told how he exactly or when he exactly got into the garden coming back to Genesis 3. However, in Revelation 12, speaks of the casting down of the third of the angels with him. So he was expelled from heaven. And now we find him in the garden talking to Eve. The first thing the devil does is he approaches the woman. And the first mistake she made was having a dialogue with the serpent. In verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Her first mistake was having a dialogue with this serpent. And here we are in the moment of time that will mark all of human history. But can I say that just some of the things you hear today will be simple. They might even sound repetitive. However, knowing that the Bible study moves far beyond even our own fellowship, I don't think you would be surprised that some of what I'm sharing today will be new for people, partly because they haven't yet to read the Bible, but also partly because they've been taught wrong. And you're not to talk to the devil. You're to allow God to be your defender. You don't have a conversation with the devil. But even before the conversation, let me warn you. It's important that you not open your mind to entertain the suggestions of the devil. That that is the warfare 
The warfare that you and I face is, and that's why I believe the helmet of salvation is so important. That protective helmet of God that he gives us in Ephesians 6 to protect our minds because the assault will come of your salvation. Because if the enemy can undermine and cause you to doubt your salvation, it really, you're, it's not a doubting of salvation. It's a doubting of the God who promised to keep you. Remember what we learned in Peter? Peter told us that God, we are kept by what? The power of God. And so the enemy is going to constantly assault your relationship with God. And the place of assault, it's not exclusive, but it is often, is your salvation in mind. So once you start doubting your salvation, you're going to doubt everything else. You're just going to doubt what people say. You're going to doubt the word of God. You're going to doubt the author of God. So we want to be careful not to open our minds to entertain the suggestions of Satan. Why? Because the warfare comes not by the devil possessing believers, but oppressing believers. Listen, as a believer, you cannot be, you, you cannot be possessed by the devil. All right, don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about demon possession. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible couldn't be clear. Light and darkness don't go together. Devil doesn't, doesn't, can't, has no ability to dwell in you that you're filled with and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. However, it doesn't mean he's not formidable. And it doesn't mean that he can't mess with you. And it doesn't mean that he can't mess with your mind. You, oh, no, no, you never mess with my mind. I'm a strong believer. I'm in the Word all the time. I can mess with your mind. And who am I? I mean, I can make you think all kinds of things. I can, I can make you think of a pink Cadillac and the person that gives them away. Who is the person that gives pink Cadillacs away? I just messed with your head, Mary Kay. Pink Cadillac. Right now you're going, no, I won't think of pink Cadillacs, but you're saying them. Yeah, I mean, we, we have this external ability to mess with people, you know, even in fun, you know, just fun. As I'm watching, you know, people that can do sleight of hand magic, you know, that messes with my head. I am so desperate to find out how did they do that because it's just sleight of hand. And they mess with me and I willingly allow them to. But the devil, you don't want to be messing around because he does the sleight of hand in a much more dangerous way. And he will continue to assault you in your mind and in your thoughts and in your beliefs because he knows sometimes even more than we do that what you believe dictates how you behave. And if you believe and you live in doubting God, your lust of your life will be doubt. And if you doubt God's word, then you won't live with confidence. And so there's an onslaught. If you, if you think you're going to be bound by that sin the rest of your life, you have presented yourself to be bound to that sin. And as long as you present yourself to sin, you are a slave to sin. But if you believe your identity in Christ is that you have been delivered, you can walk free in the light, looking up, living out God's call in your life, you know what you're going to do? You're going to live your calling out in the presence of the Lord, whatever you believe. God, if you understand, like God does, God, God does everything possible in his word to reveal to you and me how important you are, how loved you are, 
how much he's changed you, how much he's going to change you, how you're a son or daughter of the king, how a father takes care of his kids. And even if a kid wanders away, dad's going to love him even more when he gets, like your identity in Christ, you have been set free. You are hidden in Christ. Your sins have been forgiven. You know, the devil does everything he can to keep you out of the word of God because he doesn't want you to live out your identity. He doesn't want you to live out the destiny that God has laid before you. He doesn't want you to live in obedience. Obedience. He wants you to live with this confused mind, always wondering, always regretting, always upset, always in the flesh. And before you know it, man, life passed you by and it's just been one long flesh fest of your life. And it's just a miserable way to live. It's a miserable way to live. So what does he do? He places him, listen, he places himself in between you and God. He, he says, I'm going to come between Eve and God. And what does he do? Not only does he approach her, but secondly, he questions the word of God. He questions. It's one of the reasons on our live show that we don't give time to weird stuff. If you're going to call the show with weird stuff, there's a button right there that says hang up. It doesn't say hang up, but that's what it is right there. Hang up. We don't want you stumbling people with your weird questions. I don't mean real questions. I mean people that call that just want to stumble the listeners. I don't mean genuine questions. I don't mean those that you want to grow and understand. And although it might be an interesting question, I'm talking about the people that purposely want to use what's been dedicated to God to stumble believers. That God doesn't like his children being stumbled. Just like you don't want your children being stumbled. You don't want your children being told lies. You don't want your children, you, you want, if anyone has influence on your children, you want them to influence them the same way you do. You want, to point, you want others to point your kids to the Lord. You want them to give them the truth. You want, you, want those, you want those that are surrounding your kids' lives to love them and point them to the Lord. Well, God loves us even more than we love our own kids. And so what does he do? He, he says, he says, has God indeed said? Now, of course, things could have been different if Eve just said, you know what? I don't want to talk to you and walk away. Or don't even say anything and walk away. Or say, why don't you ask God? He's the one you're questioning. Why don't you ask him directly? But I want you to see that before any law was given, before anything was revealed on Mount Sinai, any covenants, were made apart, you know, in writing from God. There's a direct challenge to God's word. And a choice between right and wrong was given to Eve here, even before the fall. And I believe how each person answers the question of good and evil. How you ask, when you're faced with a situation, you're faced with a decision, and you have to make a discerning choice between right and wrong, good and evil. How you make that determination will de decide your eternal destination as well as your daily life. Like it will determine the direction and the trajectory of your life and the fate of future generations. How you discern good and evil will affect your kids and your grandkids. How you decide what's good and evil will affect your boss and your coworkers. 
how, how, you dis, dis, how you decide what's good and evil, what's right and wrong, will affect people that you drive on Hampton, down Hampton or I-25. I, I, I want you to think of the significance of this just in light of a culture and society. As you're driving today and you're heading home, just a few moments, you have to make a decision. Is it the right thing or the wrong thing to drive on the right side of the road? I know you don't make that decision. You just, it's just kind of normal. But actually, you do make that decision every time you get in the car. Is it right or wrong to stop at the red light? Is it right or wrong to stop at the stop sign? Is it right or wrong to go 15 miles an hour in a community that you know nothing about, but whoever put the sign there knows that there is a deaf child that lives around the corner. Do you know Do you, how you decide if that's right or wrong to follow that 15 mile an hour speed limit? Like how you decide just in everyday life, the decisions you make, the power of decision that God has given you, how you decide can actually affect generations. So wouldn't you agree it would be important to choose wisely? And rightly, that this question that's presented to Eve is a question of right or wrong. It's a question of good or bad. And the desire of the enemy here is to cast doubt on the word of God, which dictates to us ultimately right and wrong. Because then, as the doubt would come, then Eve would then be suspicious of the truthfulness of God. And after all, if God's word can't be trusted, then everything on which they base their lives in the garden would be false. They have enjoyed for as long as we know, like we don't know how long it was, but Adam and Eve has enjoyed sweet fellowship with one another and with God on a level we've never experienced before without sin. They've just had a sweetness about them and a beauty about them. And, and it's just been glorious and wonderful that something we can look forward to when paradise is restored. And then we've got this, this questioning. I mean, can you really trust God? After all that you experience, after all that you have enjoyed, can you really trust God? And I don't want you to miss here, not only was the mistake of dialoguing with Satan, with the serpent wrong, but I don't want you to miss in verse 3, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but notice Eve added to the word of God in her answer. When she said, but of the tree, the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it lest you die. Well, she added, nor shall you touch it. So there she is adding to the word of God, which is forbidden many times in scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Revelation 22, Proverbs chapter 30, adding to the word of God is unwise and disobedient and going to lead you down a wrong path. Eve had the truth, but she's way out of bounds with her addition, which, by the way, corrupted the true message. Because she applied something to God that he never said. It reminded me of the parable of the talents. Remember the biggest issue with the parable of the talent with the guy that hid his talent is he misunderstood his master. And when he misunderstood his master, he went and buried the talent and started blaming his master for his unfaithfulness. And that's what happens when you don't know your Savior. You don't understand his love and his mercy. That on one side of the coin is holiness, on the other side is love. Uh, on the one side of the coin is 
obedience on the other side is grace and you understand the fullness of God's character. We're learning all about the devices of the enemy, how he functions, with the hopes that it will help you better understand his strategy to take you down. This is part of Pastor Ed Taylor's study in Genesis, and you're listening to Abounding Grace. And if you missed any portion of today's Bible study, you can simply go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another convenient way to get these daily studies is by signing up to receive the free Abounding Grace podcast. Listen and learn when it's most convenient, at the gym, in the car, or as you're getting ready in the morning. Just go to AboundingGraceRadio.com to learn more about that. You can also get our app. It's available on all platforms. This is another way to hear our program. Search for Ed Taylor in your favorite app store. Each month, we'd like to suggest a book that will encourage you in the Lord. And this month, it's Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders. What does God look for in a leader? Well, this wonderful book will lead you to the answer. With over a million copies now sold, it stands as a proven classic for developing leadership. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your support that we're able to present this radio program on stations all across the nation. Call 877-30-GRACE, and we can help you with the ordering details. Or go to our online store at calvaryco.store. We'll return to the Old Testament next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.